This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Hey, great to be together. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name's Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I just add my voice to Rob's to say, hey, it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, Thanks for being with us today. We're starting a new series today. We just finished one. We're starting a new one that'll go about a month, and then uh, called Proverbs for the Home. And uh, today I'm going to talk about what do the Proverbs say about husbands. And then uh, after this, we'll go into a series on Nehemiah starting next month. But before we jump into this new series and the various Proverbs today, uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we dedicate this time to you. We ask that you would speak to us from your scripture. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us truth that would be applicable for each of us in the room, regardless of our station, our stage, our season of life. We just pray that you would encourage us and that you would help us all to have the, the attitude and the heart that you call us to have. Lord, give us, a, give, us a, give us a humble heart and a responsive heart for your word. And I pray for the men in particular of our congregation today, um, single and married alike, that you would uh, speak to us, shape us, and form us uh, through this pas- these passages, and most of all, point us to the Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom is all of our trust and all of our hope. Amen. Well, uh, the, as pastors of the church, we have the past couple of years decided to have a theme for the year. Our, our year runs kind of like a school year, September to August. And uh, so I'm kind of sharing a theme today about a month into the year already because we had a series that went through, uh, through September. Uh, but last year, our theme for the year was building community. And so we taught through the book of 1 Corinthians and we talked about what it meant to be the people of God together. And this year, we'd like to focus on the theme uh, that we're calling strengthening the home. And, and that means that throughout the year at various points, we're not going to teach through a whole book uh, dealing with that particular subject uh, like we did for building community. But throughout the year, we're going to have various teachings and training opportunities outside of Sunday morning uh, that you could jump into, various op- application through our small groups to help us grow in our relationships in the home. Now, I know we're from different, different kind of uh, seasons of life in the church. We are not in this church all married. Uh, many of us are single. Uh, some who are married are not all parents. Some who are single are parents. Uh, some parents are raising children in their home, and some who are parents are uh, empty nesters. Uh, some of us have never been married. Uh, some of us are divorced. Some of us are widowed, etc. So there's all kinds of different folks in our church. But here's the one thing that's true about every one of us who's a part of Grace Church, and that's this, that we are all a part of the same church family. So regardless of what my season of life is, I am part of the same church family. And as a church family, we're joined together so that when some of us grow and mature in the particular calling that the Lord has for them, the whole church is better off. The whole church benefits. So for instance, when a marriage is restored, God is glorified and we all benefit as a church. It's better for the whole congregation to have healthy marriages, whether I'm single, divorced, or married. When parents are equipped to raise their younger children, to know the Lord, when they're equipped that way, we all benefit. We all have a vested interest as a church family in the next generation and what's happening with the children and those who will follow, those of us who are adults in this current generation. So we're not, as a church, an assortment of special interest groups. That's a consumer mentality, and it can be tempting to cater to that kind of thing, but we're not catering to a consumer mentality with special interest groups. Rather, we are a family, so when one grows in Christ, the whole church benefits. We all get better when married couples get better. We all grow and benefit as a church in that way. Here's a second reason I want to say before we launch into this why we're doing a series that maybe every message won't have direct application to every person in an equal way. I found that, um, that whenever I'm learning from Scripture that addresses a role that I don't have, there's almost always some principle there that applies to me as a Christian. So we'll be teaching a message to children in this series. 
Uh, so children, obey your parents in the Lord, which is not a proverb. That's in the New Testament. But I, I'm not in that stage of life as a child obeying his parents in the Lord. However, there is still principal application to me to there are authorities in my life. And what is my attitude towards the authorities in my life? So there's always principal application that we can all make and benefit from. So we're going to address for this month relationships in the home for the benefit of the entire church because God wants our home lives to reflect him and his glory and that we want to be healthy as a church family uh, in this way. Strengthening the home is going to be a theme that we'll touch throughout the year at various points through the year. So if we're going to talk for this month um, until early November about um, the home, why Proverbs? I mean, Proverbs is kind of a hard book to study, isn't it? It's a really hard book to preach uh, because it's a, it, it reads like a collection of sayings. I mean, if we're honest, some of you, uh, you read a proverb and it's one saying after another. And it's like, well, this kind of sounds like what you get in a fortune cookie. It's like a wise piece of advice, only inerrant and authoritative. But other than that, very much like what you might get out of a fortune cookie. Proverbs is a book of wisdom that is applied to daily life. It's a book about wisdom that teaches us how to walk wisely. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is our wisdom, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So in a, in, a, in, a, in a way, it points us to Jesus as well, who is our wisdom. Secondly, the book of Proverbs says a lot about family life. In fact, it's, even, it's, it's very structure is familial. So all of Proverbs relates to all of us, I believe. However, it's, it's largely, especially the first nine chapters, is largely the teaching of a father to a son. It is a father passing on wisdom to a son. So it relates to daughters, it relates to mothers, it relates to all of us. But he's passing on wisdom to a son to prepare him to grow up and not be a fool. But to be wise, to not be a lazy person, but to be industrious, to not speak rashly and be an angry man who gets into trouble, but to be a wise man whose words bring life to others. So the very structure of Proverbs is parents passing on wisdom to children, though it benefits all of us. Proverbs are observations about life that help us live wisely. So Proverbs we're going to see are general. They don't function as promises so much as they function as general observations about life that, uh, that help us to know how to navigate life uh, wisely and to live by God's grace and for his glory. So today we're going to survey not the whole book, but several passages that talk about what Proverbs has to say to husbands. And here is the first theme that we find in Proverbs, to hu- uh, speaking to husbands. Here's the first theme. And if you're not a husband, I want you to think about these themes. I'm not going to connect every dot for every person. But I want you to think about how does this theme relate to me? How can I apply it in my life as well? So here's the first theme. Number one, thank God for your wife. Thank God for your wife. This is the starting point. Proverbs tells husbands that your wife is a gift from the Lord. So consider Proverbs 18.22. This is what uh, it tells us. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The the first part of this verse literally reads, he who finds a wife finds good. He who finds a wife finds good. Think back to the creation narrative, the story of creation. We've talked a lot about that in recent weeks. But think about that. Um, When God created the world uh, in, in in the account of the six days of creation, after each day where he created, he, he looks at the day and looks at what he created and said, it, it is good. It's good. He saw that what he had created was good. After the sixth day, he saw all that he had created and he said, it is very good. So it's a surprise that as we read on into chapter 2, we find out something is not good. That's the language used. Something was not good in chapter 2. This is before sin or anything like that. And what was not good was that Adam was alone. And so God said it is not good for him to be alone. And he said, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, I will make a helper fit 
for him. And so when Adam receives Eve, who is his companion, his partner in life, he receives good. He's in a situation where it's not good. Now he's receiving good. And so really this proverb tells us that Adam's story is every husband's story. That he who obtains, I'm sorry, he who finds a wife finds good. And this certainly goes both ways. I mean, it doesn't say it in this verse, but it would be true as well that a woman who finds a husband finds what is good as well. So this is our starting point. If you're a husband in the room, this is the starting point. You have received good. And it's interesting. I'm glad. Thanks for leaving that verse up there because I want to point something out. The word good is is parallel to favor here. He who finds a wife finds good or a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Good and favor are in parallel in this verse. So finding some, the, the good thing, the wife, is obtaining the Lord's favor that they're the same things. So husbands, when you see your wife, you are looking squarely at God's favor on your life. Let me say that again. When you see your wife, what you are seeing is God's favor on your life. Let me ask you a question, guys. When you think of your wife, is that what comes to mind? Do you think this is God's favor? I have found good. She is a gift. She is a blessing to me. In his commentary on the book of Proverbs, John Kitchen writes, When God grants her to him, let him never stoop to believe he deserves her. Or heaven forbid that he deserves better. She is a gift. Obtained favor. Favor is always, favor in the Bible, the Lord's favor is always an undeserved gift. That's why if you're a single person, there may be many things you can do to find a marriage partner, but, but perhaps the most important thing is to be a person of prayer because a marriage partner is a gift from the Lord. He is the one who provides for us. Your wife, guys, is an undeserved gift. And if you are gripped with that truth, she is an undeserved gift. She represents the favor of God in my life. If you are gripped with that truth, it will fundamentally change your perspective on marriage. Proverbs 19.14 makes a very similar point. It says this, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So what he's saying here is if you inherit wealth, that's from your parents. But if you have a prudent wife, that's from the Lord. One's a birthright by being born into a family with means. The other is a gift from God himself. A prudent wife. What does prudent mean? Well, prudent means someone who has understanding. Prudent is someone with wisdom. Prudent is good sense. It's not prude, but it's, it means to be have good sense. A prudent person is a person who lives like the book of Proverbs describes. We could say it's a wise person. So the person, uh, a, a, a wise wife, a woman with good sense is from the Lord. A woman who knows what to do in a situation is a gift from the Lord. Now, Proverbs does make the point that not every wife is prudent. As a matter of fact, the verse before this, I don't have this on the screen, but the verse before this verse, 14, says this. 19.13 says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling a continual dripping of rain. A wife's quarreling, a continual dripping of rain. So he does say, and then it goes on to say, house and wealth are inherited from the Lord, but a prudent wife, I'm sorry, is from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So it's contrasting the prudent wife from the quarrelsome wife who is like a continual dripping of rain. Now, I had often thought until studying this week that that kind of referred to a nagging wife, that 
that it is like a that it's like a, a dripping rain is like a leaky faucet. Well, they didn't have leaky faucets in that day. Uh, this was written thousands of years ago, so they didn't have leaky faucets. It's a picture of dripping rain, likely into a house, and it's saying that if you have dripping leak into your house especially a house that would have been primitive and basic like uh, the readers of the original readers of Proverbs would have been, that over time, if you don't tend to that, your house will be destroyed. And so he's saying in the same way, a quarrelsome wife, not just someone who gets into it with their husband, but a lady given to fights and arguments and quarrels, a lady who is given to starting uh, you know, to start in arguments with the family. She's got a beef with um, her friends. She's got a beef down at the, uh, you know, at her job with the neighbors. Wherever she is, she's getting into a quarrel. That kind of lady will tear down her own house. Like rain, dripping rain into the house, she will destroy her own family. But a prudent wife, one who has understanding, one who has wisdom, she is a gift from the Lord. Now, most every man in this room, I know many of your wives, um, most every man in this room has a prudent wife. So you don't need to be looking at that and saying, you know, is my wife getting into a fist fight with the neighbor? I mean, if she is, let's talk. But, uh, you know, you don't, you don't probably need to be worried about, do you have the kind of wife that's leaking into the house and destroying everything? Most every man in this church has a prudent wife. Not a perfect wife, but neither are you, St. Paul, okay? So not a perfect wife. <laughs> but a prudent wife. Many of the men in this room have a wife who is more prudent than he is. So many of us have married wives that are not only prudent, but excel us in their wisdom and in their understanding, in their good sense. We have biblically, as the saying goes, we've outpunted our coverage uh, when we married a wife who has wisdom and prudence. She is from the Lord. I'm hammering the same point over and over, guys. Your wife, your wise wife, is a gift from the Lord. And guys, if you find yourself easily criticizing your wife, easily dissatisfied with your wife, if you find yourself comparing your wife with other wives, other ladies, comparing her to their personalities, their abilities, their intelligence, their appearance, even their godliness. If you are comparing her, then you have forgotten the most basic truth that your wife is a gift from God to you. For you, a helper suitable for you, if you are easily criticizing her, easily upset, easily um, offended by her, easily wishing she were different than she is, and not thanking God for her, not seeing her as good, he who finds a wife finds good, not seeing her as the favor of God in your life then everything about your marriage will be askew. This attitude, thanking God for our wives, gratitude to God for the gift of our wives, this is the first button on the shirt of husbandry. You know that that metaphor of like the first button on the shirt. I'm not going to unbutton my shirt and give the illustration, but you know what I mean. If If you get the button, if you get the first button off and then button down your shirt, you get to the bottom, you'll find that the, the, the tails of your shirt are off like this because you missed the first button. The metaphor says if you don't get the first thing right, then everything else will be messed up. I think this is principally foundational to marriage. If you miss that she is a gift, that she is from God, then everything else will be out of line. We can talk about conflict resolution. We can talk about intimacy. We can talk about communication. Uh, We can talk about leading and serving your wife. We can talk about everything. But if you primarily don't look vertically and see her as a gift from God, a provision from God, sovereignly, providentially placed in your life for your good, then everything else won't take like it should. If you don't start with grace, 
God has given me an undeserved gift. But if you will embrace the wisdom of Proverbs, just the two that we've looked at so far, if you will embrace these and thank God for your wife, your assessment of your wife will change. You will see her differently. You will see her differently if you thank God for his gift, for the specific ways that she is a blessing to you, then your marriage will change because you will change. If you begin the practice of regularly, daily, before the Lord articulating specific ways your wife is a blessing and thanking God for her, your marriage will change because you will change. This shift from a posture of criticism to a posture of gratitude for God, to God for her, can make all the difference. And here's why. Because what we're talking about in these first two verses is a shift from a horizontal perspective. What do I think about my wife? How is she meeting my needs? How am I pleased with her? Is she doing things that I like and appreciate? Or is she doing things that get on my nerves? And now is she doing something that gets on my last nerve? And do I wish she was different? See, it moves. What we're talking about here moves from a horizontal evaluation to vertical. These two verses say, look up. A prudent wife is from the Lord. You're not looking horizontally. You're saying, Lord, he who finds a wife finds what is good and and has favor from God. That's looking up and saying, Lord, my perspective on my marriage starts with looking to you. Not even looking to me and what kind of husband I am. Not looking to her and evaluating her. It starts with you and saying, Lord, you have given me a gift. As a young husband, I don't think I had any idea what God had given to me and my wife, Ginger. I, I, I don't think I had a clue about what I'm talking about right now. And I'm sure in another number of years, I'll say, I have no clue. Remember when I preached that message back in 2017? Little did I know what God had given me in her. Recently, we were assigned to share a testimony of our marriage in a marriage group that we are in right now called Reengage, and in this marriage group, Ginger and I prepared together this 20-minute or so testimony about our story as a married couple, and it's not like any, like, amazing, like they're making a movie about us or uh, something. No, books are being written. It was everybody in the group had to do this, so it, was, it wasn't like we were something special. Everybody had to do this. So we, as we sat and spent really hours reviewing our history together as a couple. It was a great assignment, reviewing our history together to tell someone our story. As we did that and went back over our history, and I saw all the, we talked about the difficult life challenges we had faced. As we reviewed, man, remember how hard that time was? And remember when that happened? Boy, we never saw that coming. When we reviewed our 31 years of marriage, I was blown away when I thought about how gracious God was to me to give me a wise and graceful and gracious, kind, faithful companion as my wife. I mean, I had no idea in year one what we were going to face later or in year five of marriage. I had no idea what was coming. But looking from year 31 back, I could see this history of how gracious and good God had been to me in her. At the time, I didn't see it at the various times and still today uh, in my own weakness, in my own sinfulness, I can be critical of her or wishing she would do this or that or, or whatever. So I can lose the perspective I'm talking about right now very easily. But it is much more of a common perspective for me now than it was in years one, five, or even ten. Because now I have this faithful history to see how, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I got a 31-year testimony that says absolutely. You don't need a 31-year testimony. You just need the word of God. It's true. But if you're young and preparing for marriage, or if you're a young married couple, my recommendation is find an old guy with a godly wife, and he'll tell you, learn Proverbs 19.14 and Proverbs 18.22, because they are true. And it'd be better to see that now than to find that out much later. 
if you are a single person, maybe God will be leading you to be married in the future. This is still something that you could cultivate. An attitude of thanking God for what he has provided in your life. Now, it may not be a spouse right now. It may be friendships. It may be your family. Maybe others that God has placed in your life. So thanking God, cultivating a heart of gratitude rather than a heart of complaining and criticizing those he's placed in your life. Um, because in marriage, however you view your friends and those you're close to now, it'll be magnified in marriage. And so if you're fundamentally a critical person of other people, That'll only be magnified in marriage. So you can begin now to begin to receive the grace of God, see what his provision is in your life, and cultivate that grateful heart so that when God, if he does, if it's his will, he does bring you to a place of marriage, you will be the kind of person that is readily giving thanks to God for his provision and seeing his hand. So number one, thank God for your wife. She is clearly from the Lord. Number two, we've only got three today. Number two is going to be treasure your wife. Proverbs 31, treasure your wife. I'm going to look at Proverbs 31, uh, verses 10 and 11. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Now, maybe you were surprised, gentlemen, uh, when I said, let's go to Proverbs 31 and talk to you. Uh, It may surprise you that Proverbs 31 addresses men as well. As one author put it, we mustn't let Proverbs 31 become a passage applicable only to women and women's ministry tote bags, which I just love. (laughs) And if you have a women's ministry tote bag with Proverbs 31 on it, no judgment. But that is, that's hilarious because that, they, they, all have, they all have that on there somewhere on the tote bag at the conference. But I, again, if you have one, please. Let me just ask you, don't email me or see me. Let me just say I'm sorry right now. I ask your forgiveness right now for mocking your bag. Okay. If, if you don't get that, if this feels like an inside joke because you're new to the Bible, Proverbs 31 is a chapter of the Bible where verses 10 through 31 talk about uh, a woman of wisdom. So the whole book is about wisdom, and then it closes with what does a wife look like who lives with wisdom? And it sort of has rather, uh, a rather lofty, it's a lofty sketch of what this person, what she is like. No woman uh, embodies all of this. Um, but, but every woman will embody certainly some of it. And there's an ideal there that the Lord lays out. And it's often many women's ministries are called Proverbs 31 or something like that. Uh, so that was the comment. Okay. He starts with a question, an excellent wife who can find Well, it doesn't mean that she doesn't exist. It does not mean that she doesn't exist. It rather means that she is valuable. Her husband treats her like a rare find. She's more precious than jewels. So when he finds her and when he marries her, he views her as precious. He treasures her. Another way we could say is he cherishes her. That's the New Testament word in Ephesians 5. Paul says that a husband is to nourish and cherish his wife. I'm using the word treasure because they use the word jewels. But we could equally say he treasures her. It's interesting because throughout the book of Proverbs, we've been told to pursue wisdom because give everything you can to to obtain wisdom, Solomon says, because it's more precious than gold. And so here we're being told that, you know what, actually wisdom is more precious than gold and so is an excellent wife. So is a wife, a provision from the Lord. She is more precious than jewels. His heart is trusts in her. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. You can read the whole Old Testament and you'll find that verb is always used with the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Only twice in the entire Old Testament is the word trust ever given, driven to a person. It's always to God, this particular verb. It's always to God. But here in one other place, it's to a person. And his heart trusts in 
her. He treasures her. He values her. And that's demonstrated in the fact that he trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. The the verse says, verse 12, which we didn't look at, but verse 12 says, she does him good. He trusts her and then she will do him good. Now, it's interesting because until the end of the chapter, we don't see him anymore. And one commentator said, you can see that he trusts her because he really doesn't show up anymore in the chapter. It's true. He frees her to do her thing. And this woman is doing her thing. She is doing all kinds of things. She's sewing, but she's also going out and uh, executing real estate transactions, buying a field, etc. So, so he trusts her and, and, and frees her. He empowers her. He cares for her, he treasures her, he trusts her, but he doesn't control or micromanage her, as we'll see as the chapter goes on. His leadership is present, it's not absent. I'm not encouraging passivity among husbands, because that's not what the word the Bible calls us to. It doesn't call us to passivity. Uh, But very clearly, he doesn't sort of control her. His leadership is present, but it's not stifling. He treasures her. He trusts her. That's what we see here. Uh, She's more precious than jewels. He values that. The heart of the husband trusts her. He treasures her. He trusts her. And she flourishes. By treasuring and trusting, he empowers her to be all that God has called her to be. As a woman of God, as a daughter of the Lord, and as a wife. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Have you ever thought, guys, we're talking about treasuring here, treasuring our wives. Have you ever thought about the word husband? I mean, I used the clunky word husbandry earlier, I believe. Um, when, the, when the word uh, husband is used, and when it's used as a verb, it means, well, it means essentially the same thing husbandry does. It means to care or to cultivate. The word husband means to cultivate, and it can be used as a verb. To, to husband your wife. You could be a husband, that's a noun, or to husband your wife. That is to cultivate her. And so when we read Proverbs 31, many women find this daunting. But actually men should find this more daunting. Because the picture is not of this woman that just in isolation became biblical wonder woman or something like this. She has a husband who views her more precious than jewels, and who trusts her. Her husband, and we're going to see this at the end of the chapter too, he has cultivated her growth by treasuring her. He's cultivated her growth. He sees her as a gift from God. He sees her as more valuable than anyone or anything in his life other than God. He esteems her. He respects her. He, Ephesians 5, calls us to sacrifice for her. He speaks well of her. He speaks well to her. He listens to her. He walks with her through difficulty. He, in the New Testament, points her to Christ, prays for her, shares God's truth with her, She is his covenant companion for life, and he values and cherishes her. He doesn't neglect her. He doesn't ignore her. He isn't sort of calm and cool and detached from her. He's not aloof. He trusts her, and the verb is so strong that it's always used of trusting God. Now, he doesn't make her his God. He doesn't make her an idol. He doesn't give her the place that only God should have in his life. But he does esteem her far more highly than most of us would consider her. Consider He cherishes her, which cultivates her so that she may flourish. And he not only thanks God for her and treasures her, but he tells her so. And that's the third and final idea I want to share from the Proverbs this morning. Thank God for your wife, treasure your wife, and third is encourage your wife, or we could say honor your wife either. But I like the word encourage because I'm talking about verbal. Honoring would, could be verbal as well, obviously. But look at verses 28 and 29 at the end of the chapter. This is after describing this woman, and it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. 
So it starts with the children encouraging their mom. But where did the children learn that? Where did the children learn to speak of their mom in, the, in this way, that the children rise up and call her blessed? That's another way of saying she's a blessing. How do the children learn that? Well, I think by implication, her husband also, he praises her, and we get much more about what he says and does. We get a line about the kids. We get like three lines about what the husband does. He's created an environment in the home of thanking God for his wife, seeing her as the favor of God to him, seeing when I found her, I found good, treasuring her as more valuable than jewels such that he entrusts his heart. He trusts her. So it cultivates her so that she flourishes with him in their relationship and in their home. And so the kids are really learn something from their dad. They're encouraging because they've heard this from dad. He models something. He sets a tone in the home. And, and whether we want to acknowledge this or not, men, we set a tone in our home. Now, wives and mothers set a tone as well. I'm not saying this in some kind of uh, hyper-male way, like only the guy sets the tone. Wives do as well, for sure. But as the leader in your home, as the father to your children, you and I set a tone in our home. And the tone of criticism, starting with the criticism of our wife, sets an icy, cold, detached sort of environment. It's cold. But the, 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 an environment that, that, that it is characterized by encouragement, by honoring and praising a person sincerely, by being grateful, by, by, by recognizing what the Lord has done and doing, that is a warm environment. That cultivates an environment where family members encourage one another. And it starts with the husband. And sometimes this takes a while. If you're trying to do this and your kids are still barking at one another all the time and barking back at mom when she tells them something to do or whatever, this doesn't happen if you go home and say, okay, everybody gather together. Your mom is great. I love you, dear. It's not like instantly the kids are going to rise up and call her blessed. This is seed that's sown over years and years and years. And the Proverbs are observations. They're not promises. It does not mean that if you do this well, that none of your children will ever be tempted towards bitterness. It does not mean that. The Proverbs are not guarantees or or promises. They are general observations from life. And, uh, boy, I don't, I don't want to take the time to demonstrate and prove that right now. But go back and read chapter 3. It says, if you fear the Lord, you'll be wealthy. It says, if you fear the Lord, you'll have health. It says about all these blessings that will come to your life if you fear the Lord. And so the health and wealth gospel folks grab that and run with it. But that has to be interpreted with all of Scripture. There are people that fear the Lord that get cancer and die. There are people that fear the Lord that can barely make their bills, okay? It's a general observation about life, and this one as well. It's not a guarantee that if you say, I love you, and kiss your wife in front of the kids, that instantly tomorrow uh, they are throwing a we love mommy party. But over time, that will be cultivated in their lives, and generally that will be what the Lord will do in their heart, and that will be what will happen. Many women, he says, look at his praise Verse 29, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. I saw a blog on this passage, and it's just never smart to read the comment section. I'm not godly enough to read the comment section on blogs. You have to have self-control. You have to believe the best. You can't be arrogant and pharisaical and just, just, you know, judgy, judgy. And so I don't look at comments because I'm too judgy. But I just saw a comment where somebody was commenting on this in a comment section and saying, well, you know, I wouldn't really say that because that's unrealistic to say that to your wife. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So this guy was committed to truthful encouragement. <laughs> this guy was committed to integrity. I think, pal, you're going to be committed to sleeping on the couch is what you're committed to. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to give honest encouragement. Okay, can I honestly say, you're an idiot, okay? That, it, it's, that was, I don't know if there's children in the room. I'm sorry. 
but that, don't, don't be that. The verse is not saying we have scientific research that proves she excels them all. It's not saying that we did a survey with a large enough sample, only two percentage points plus or minus, and, and we, we surveyed a large enough sample and of every wife in the country, yea, the world, we did a thorough study and we found that actually there are many that have done excellently, some in like the 90 percentile, whatever, but she, well, she surpassed them all. And so she won. And so it's, it's over. She won it in Proverbs. It's not some kind of scientific study. It's saying your wife is a gift from God. And, and it's saying, as I look around, there are plenty of godly wives around us and all over the planet, but I'd rather have you than anyone else by a long shot. That's what he's saying. Yeah, there's plenty of women that have plenty of gifts and they're prudent and wise for sure, but there's no one who means to me what you mean to me. There's no one who's done for me what you've done for me. There's no one I share with, I trust. Only God do I trust. And you secondly, there's no one else do I trust to the degree I trust you. You surpass them all. That's what it's saying. It's a heart full. We're not exegeting every word and saying, well, I'm not sure that is it. No, it's a heart that's full of gratitude. This is someone who treasures his wife. This is someone who speaks of how he loves and treasures her that she excels. Does she have faults? Of course she does. Does she sin? Of course she does. But he's saying, when I look at your life, I am so deeply grateful to God for you. The favor of God came to me when I met you. And you are my covenant companion for life. I treasure and I trust and trust my heart to you. It's important to note that in this, in this verse, what's happening is verbal encouragement. It's not enough to think these things. I do that sometimes, like, oh, man, I was going to tell them I really appreciate, I really admire them, I see that in them. I meant to sort of tell them that, and, and I don't. Well, they don't know that if I don't tell them. And my wife, Ginger, doesn't know if I don't tell her. My encouragement's not verbal. It's not enough to think it. We must speak it privately, and here they speak it publicly. Okay, guys, this starts with thanking God privately for our wives. If I'm not grateful to God that he's given me the wife that I have, then a lot of times what I just say otherwise is going to be, there'll be a note of insincerity. It'll be somewhat flattery. It may be like flattery or what does he want? Um, What's he expecting if he says that? We thank God privately. God, you favored me. And then we praise her personally, privately, and publicly. We can't just think it or feel it. Ray Ortland in his commentary on Proverbs said, men, let's repent of our silence and the sin of withheld love. Let's repent of silence, guys. Let's repent of not seeing our wife as the favor of the Lord, as a gift from God. Let's repent of not treasuring, not cherishing, not cultivating. Let's repent and let's let our words speak differently. When was the last time? I'm going to ask some questions here. If you're not married, think about other relationships in your life because this applies to all of us, these principles. Guys, when was the last time you verbally encouraged your wife? How regularly do you verbally encourage your wife? Well, like Valentine's Day or our anniversary. Now, she needs to be bathed in encouragement because she faces so many discouraging circumstances in life, just like you do, just like I do. But your words of encouragement mean more than anyone else's. You have the ability to lift her up out of discouragement by bringing her God's word that points her to Christ and by bringing her encouragement, unlike anybody else, because you're one. How broadly do you encourage your wife? So when was the last time? How regularly? If you're writing or, or thumbing in your notes on your phone, this would be, uh, these would be some things to put down. How regularly do you verbally encourage your wife? How broadly? Like what is the range of gratitude? If you only thank her for her cooking and for sex, if that, those are the two things, 
Some guys, oh, there's more than that? Yeah, there's more than that. <laughs> Do you broadly thank her for her character, for all that she does for you, for, all, for how she reflects Christ to you, for the way she pursues the Lord, for the way she's faithful, for the way she's enduring trial, for the way she reaches out and cares for others, for the way she prays for you and prays for others, for the way she serves outside your home, in the church, or in her job, or in some other volunteer capacity. Thank her for, for one who is a giving woman, a servant, one who is industrious. Thank her for the way that, well, we could go on and on, but you get the point. So is it broad encouragement? Do you speak well of her in front of others? What is the ratio of critical comments to encouraging comments? Well, I think I'm doing pretty good. It's about 50-50. No, that's fail. That's an F. <laughs> 50-50. I think. I think it's, oh, it's 51. Yeah, if I can get to 51. I don't know what the ratio should be. But there should be enough encouragement that, that that would be our bent. That she would say, my husband is an encouraging, honoring husband. Not perfect. Certainly critical. Certainly maybe you battle anger, impatience, crit- critical spirit. We all battle those things. But, but generally speaking, grateful. Ask her. Ask her these things. What what is the ratio of my critical comments to encouraging comments, would you say? There's some homework in this sermon. Ask her this as well. Do you feel treasured by me? Why or why not? How could I grow in showing how valuable you are to me? Do you feel that I value you? Do you feel that I treasure you? Do you feel that I trust you? That's what he says. He trusts her. Do you feel that Uh, that I trust you would be a question to ask her. How could I grow in showing my trust of you so that you would flourish? Am I treasuring you so that you feel like I am wind in your sails? Or am I distrusting you and critical of you so that you feel like you're, you're unhelpfully squelched? When I think about these three sections of Proverbs, here's what I think. If I could draw a line and say, here's, here's, the Proverbs say more. This is not a whole survey. This is a survey of whatever we looked at, eight verses, ten verses, I don't know. But if I could draw a thread through these, I think it would be this. God's call is to treasure your wife as a gracious gift from God and show it through your words and deeds. Treasure your wife as a gracious gift of God and show her, show it through your words and deeds. Well, if you hear this and you go, wow, I have got a lot of work to do. I'm I'm discouraged. I thought I was supposed to be in. How can I encourage someone else when I'm discouraged by what I'm hearing? Hey, the I got another proverb for us who are in that situation. And here it is, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he, listen, he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Oh, that is good news today, that there is mercy for every one of us who criticize more than give thanks, who demand more than treasure, who are cynical and mistrusting rather than trusting, who keep our thoughts, our good thoughts, our our, our encouraging thoughts to ourselves rather than freely, profusely, but sincerely verbalizing them. It's that there's mercy. If I acknowledge my sin to the Lord and to my wife or to whomever else I've sinned against, there is mercy. Jesus died and rose for our sins. And he provides mercy to us. I, I, want, I mentioned Ephesians 5 several times. Guys, I want to take us there one more time. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We often always go to Jesus and say, okay, that's my role. I'm supposed to sacrifice for my wife. Do you realize that, first of all, you are part of the church that he loves and died for? He gave himself up for the church, and you that's you. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you as you trust and believe in him. We usually go to what we're to do. We need to go to what we receive from him. Consider his sacrificial love for you and for me today. He gave his life. 
Growing as a husband involves growing in our appreciation and understanding and application of the gospel. To give grace to my wife, I must receive grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. To be an encourager to her, I need to receive the biblical encouragement that my Savior gives. And the the greatest encouragement imaginable is him dying for our sins, demonstrating his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Paul writes in the book of Romans. It involves understanding the gospel that he suffered and bled and died for ungrateful husbands. Jesus died for entitled husbands, for selfish husbands, for arrogant husbands, for coveting husbands, for lazy husbands, for passive husbands, for domineering, lording it over husbands, for inconsiderate husbands. Jesus died for those husbands just like me and just like you. That's what's going on in the cross. And then he is resurrected to defeat the power of sin. And so our many sins can be forgiven when we come to him, when we no longer conceal our entitlement and our selfishness, when we no longer conceal, but we confess. We receive Christ's mercy afresh. And not only did he die and rise to forgive us, but to change us. Here's the good news. Here is the good news. You can change. Young and old, male and female, married and single, everyone in the room, if you are in Christ, you can change. And that is the promise of God and the power of God and the calling of God on you. It's not unusual to change. It's the norm. The normal Christian life is a husband that's more grateful today than a year ago. A husband that treasures his wife more today than a year ago. A husband that treasures, that, that encourages his wife today more than a year ago. We are growing and that is the power. The, the very spirit of God lives in us. Simply acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord and to your wife if that's appropriate, if it's towards her. Ask for help. And you will find he rescue, he will rescue your marriage. He will mature your marriage. God can make, here's a statement that some of you have trouble believing. God can make your marriage a delight. Not perfect, not 24-7 bliss, I'm not saying that. But an overall delight in your life. He can change your perspective. And it starts with confessing your sin, receiving his forgiveness, and asking for his help to change so that you may begin to treasure your wife as a gracious gift from God and show her through your words and through your deeds. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.